fancy office that I worked in, and everybody had their own computer. And uh, it was not a great job, though. And I, it didn't take me very long to find that out. So I was there about six months, and then after about another six months, my boss, who I really liked, left, and he got me a job here in Kalamazoo because he didn't want me at that company either after he left. <laughs> he said it wasn't a good spot for me. He said, I was going to take this job with this company in Kalamazoo, but I'm not going to take it. I'm going to start my own firm, and I want you to take it. And so I walked in my first day at SME where Dane worked. I walked into the office, and there's two computers and three guys. And one guy who turned out to be a good friend and just had, a, had that personality. He's like, this one's mine. <laughs> so it was me and Dane. I looked at Dane. He's like, I'll share mine with you. <laughs> Dane's been a light in my life for over 25 years. <laughs> Because that's intimidating. You know, you're a kid and you're starting in this professional company. You got all these, you know, dog-eat-dog professionals kind of in this office. And Dane was just wide open and like, hey, I'll help you. And don't worry. I just appreciated that. So appreciate Dane praying for me right now. All right. So there's notes. Everybody have the notes? Okay. And then there was a little quiz. Did you get the little quiz? Hold up the little quiz if you got the little quiz. I want to see it in everybody's hand. Okay. I'm going to pray just a little bit more. I'm going to build a little porch on what Dane just built. And I want you, while I'm doing that, I'm going to pray. You don't have to pray with me. You can if you want to. But I want you to look at the quiz, and I want you to answer the questions, okay? So, Jesus, I thank you that you are the light to the nations, just like Dane prayed. And I'm asking, we need your light. We don't need my light. We don't need any other light but your light. And we want to be ready at your appearing. I thank you, Jesus. Every analogy you used about coming, you said it's going to be dark. I'm coming like a thief. They won't know. Don't be deceived. God, we want to be ready. We want to actually see a light the earth can't see. So would you fill this room right now with light? Would you fill it with the breath of life? I, I just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're like a, the, the pillar of fire that led Israel through the desert. Would you manifest that pillar of fire here? We want to see it as much as we can handle it, as much as we can bear it. We want to see it. We want to know what to do next. We want to know where to go next, what to think next, what to feel next. God, would you manifest that in this room? In the name of Yeshua, amen. Okay, now this is seated in the heavens with Yeshua. And I'm using the name for Jesus, Yeshua, mostly because I've been in Israel, and that's all they use there. Um, but also because he told me back in 2011, he said, call me Yeshua. That's what my friends called me. And I kind of do, do it here or there. You've probably heard me preach and use the name Yeshua here or there. I, I pepper that name into what I, what I teach. But I usually use the name Jesus, and I'll kind of use both. But for the title of the message, I felt like I'm just trying to honor him more and more where he told me all those years ago, call me Yeshua. That's what my friends called me. I just am trying to do that a little bit more intentionally. So don't think it's like, oh, Tom went to Israel, and now he thinks he's an Israeli. Israeli. Yeah, because I don't. But my deli guy does. My deli guy keeps telling me, you need to make Aliyah, because I got a really short haircut, and he thought I'd fit into the IDF really well. So, which I'm obviously too old for that. Okay, Galatians 6, 6 to 16. This is the very first uh, part, like the intro to the notes. Now I'm going to be, I get to talk four times in July and August, and all of the times, I'm going to be talking about the book of Ephesians. This is a couple, uh, maybe a week ago, the Lord said to me, Tom, I want you to approach July and August through the book of Ephesians. He showed me that I was like off kilter a little bit. So at my mom's house, there's a big 25-foot pontoon boat that I share with my brother-in-law and all my kids. And this boat is a beast. And when you bring it into the boat lift, 
because it's 25 feet long, you got to get it straight on because if it comes in at an angle or, or at all, it will get bound up on the rails of the boat lift. And the Lord, he just showed me a picture. He said, you're like that boat, and I want to put you in a safe place, put you up off of the waves. And he's like, but you got to approach it with the right angle. And Ephesians is the right angle to approach this moment in time. I want to tell you, the more I study it, the more I'm like, oh, my word, God, how did I not see this before? That Ephesians is the right approach to the moment of time that we're in right now. And so if you want to be with me in this, I just recommend taking some time every week, read the book of Ephesians. Just read through it. It's six chapters. It takes literally about 30 minutes to read the whole thing. And just ask God, show me something new every time I read it. If you challenge him like that, he will do that. Because he says he sent the Holy Spirit to give you new information as you can bear it. So that, that prayer agrees with the Bible. You just say, show me something new every time I read it. You're going to grow in your capacity to see what you need right now. And love is growing cold right now. And Ephesians is really a book about love. Okay, so we're going to start studying Ephesians in Galatians. <laughs> Galatians 6, 6 to 16. Now, if you know anything about the way the Bible's laid out, you know this is the passage just before Ephesians. Let him who was taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, God told me, Tom, you're living in your prayers from last year right now. Are you living in your prayers from last year? What were you praying last year? What is God doing in your life right now? Whatever is going on, you're living in what you sowed in some season previous to right now. Now, you can get condemned in that and be like, I didn't really pray that much last year. <laughs> I think I am living in it. But you can sow seeds today. There's always a today. As long as there's a today, there's a today to enter into the rest of the Lord. So you really want to sow the seeds that you're going to be living in in six months, 12 months, whatever, right? You're going to live in them either way. So God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. Has anybody here ever grown weary while doing good? Raise your hand if you've grown weary while doing good. That is the only way doing good works. <laughs> if you do good, you're going to grow weary because good is not appreciated if it's good from God. Jesus did good. He did real good. And he was not appreciated. He was killed for it. So if you're growing weary doing good, you're on the right track, but don't let that happen. This is what this, this passage is saying in Galatians 6. Don't give in to the flesh in this one. That's what The reason Jesus finished the cross is because he got joy set before him. He's like, okay, I'm weary. You know, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm weary. I don't want to do this. And he got something set before him, and then he took the next step into faith. That's where you are right now. You need actually something to believe in, to step into the next realm of faith because I'm telling you the light of the earth is growing dim right now. It's, it's getting real dim. And if you're like hoping for the thing you thought God was going to do five years ago that he's going to finally do that, you're going to grow dim with the world. You got to have fresh water, living, vibrant connection to God. You got to be like, okay, I, maybe I got something wrong. What are we doing right now? Where are we stepping right now? And if you'll do that, then you'll follow Yeshua through things he didn't want to do, things you don't want to do, but that he'll be rewarded for forever, okay? And you really want that because he's coming very, very soon. I've met people from all over the world in the last three months. God is sending people to Jerusalem, and they all have the same message. Jesus is coming, and we're getting this place ready. All of them, all, literally all of them, at great expense, great personal expense, great disruption of their lives are going to Jerusalem and saying, Jesus is coming and we're getting this place ready. I want to tell you, he is coming and it's coming like a thief. And so if you can't see the light of heaven, you can't see it, okay? 
but you can see the light of heaven. So I have a lot of hope for us. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. All over the earth right now, believers are losing heart. All over the earth, believers are losing heart. Look at this room. It's not as full as it was 10 years ago, you know, or not 10 years ago, eight years ago. It's not as full as it was 20 years ago. You know, there's stories. People came to this church when we first got it. They'd come and they'd say, the pews, if you remember, the pews were stacked one upon another. You could barely even stand in the rows. And people came and said, they used to fill this place with chairs because there wasn't enough seats for all the people that came here. Jesus ended his ministry with all of his friends walking away. You're living in the moment in time he's about to return. You're faithful. I want to tell you, you are faithful. There's no rescue team coming that's super faithful. We're just waiting for them to come. You are the faithful ones. You are the ones that should not grow weary while doing good. You are the ones he doesn't want to lose heart. That's you. Do you feel tempted to lose heart? Of course. Of course. That's why he said it. He knows, okay? He knows what you need. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Everybody say especially especially to those who are of the household of faith. Who's your household of faith? We is. Yes, all the people in this room. So he's saying, do good as you have opportunity, especially to the people you're pursuing Jesus with, especially to the ones you pursue the Savior with. Do good because it's going to get harder and harder and harder to live together in this hope while weariness and love grows cold are unfolding. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to take seriously that the kingdom is not coming in a way as to be seen. It is not coming heralded by the news. It's coming from in here. And you'll know Yeshua is coming by your love for each other. That love, it's not affection let you feel. That's American love. That's like worldly love. That's flesh love. Your love is the sacrifices you make for people that are unlovely. That's your love. That's the love of Jesus. The sacrifices you make because you know who you are in the heavenly realm, and you know you're his body, and you want to represent him right. No matter what anyone else does, you want to represent him right. How many in this room want to represent Jesus right? Do you know it's everlasting fire if you don't? He takes very seriously the commitment you made to represent him right, and if you take that precious jewel and trample it underfoot, That's everlasting fire, according to Hebrews 10. He takes seriously that he gave you his spirit. And he requires we represent him right. He does, okay? Now, this is good news. Don't get condemned in this at all. Because he doesn't require anything he won't help us do, okay? Now, item one, Ephesians, an exploration of identity. We live in the time heaven and earth are merging together. We really do. We must find our place in the age to come or we'll be crushed and winnowed by its very coming. Right now, if you're like most of the people on the earth, including me, you are tempted to try and save your life, to try and save your history of being faithful, to try and save the dreams that you thought God gave you about church and what would happen in the earth and the the great harvest and the falling away and the house of prayer and the end time prayer movement. You're tempted to try and save that life that has actually started in the flesh. When you first heard those realities, you heard them with your mind. You felt them with your heart. You walked them out with your will. But as we grow up, we have to transfer to the kingdom that's coming. We actually have to hear them with his ears. We have to think about them with his mind. 
We have to walk them out with his will. That's what it means to go in 1 Corinthians 13 about love. He says, when I was a child, I did childish things. Now I'm a man. I put away childish things. We hear dimly. We see dimly, right? He's talking about prophecy. But love is what will remain, faith, hope, and love. And right now, God is calling us to let go of this earth, to let go of your, what you're trying to maintain in this earth and seat yourself in the heavenlies. Now, you have to hear this the right way. If you do that, he will make your earth fruitful, lightful, vibrant. Now, because if you seek first the kingdom, all the rest is added unto you. And I want to tell you, look around outside. What you can see is people feel like they don't have what they need. People feel like things aren't working the way they hoped they would. People are feeling desperate. And he wants you to be a witness of people that aren't desperate. People that actually live in a whole different place, but actually enjoy the presence of that place as ambassadors here on the earth. That's what he's asking us to step into, not to be like, I don't care about anybody here or anything here. I'm just going to go, you know, float up into the heavens. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is live your life here so that the, when people see you here, you're in the world but not of it. You're actually here, but you're not really here. All your identity is there. All your source and supply is there. When you worship, you worship there. Because if you worship here, you might be in a room with two or three people that used to have 100 people, and you're like, it's not working. But if you worship there, you're like, oh, some of those people are here with me. He is sifting a harvest out of the earth. I am actually with people that are faithful. This blew my mind. When, I, when we went to Israel, we found out that the church there is incredibly small, but it's also really pretty faithful. And it's learning how to love each other, even though they disagree significantly about things. It actually can't afford to be in division. It can't be affor- afford to be indifferent. It's just too small, and the pressure's too high. I want to tell you that pressure's coming here. You can't afford to be indifferent. If you're indifferent right now, if you're like just trying to make it through, grit your teeth and be a nice person with the other people you go to church with, you are in big, big trouble. It won't work. I'm telling you, he will, Jesus will get rid of that false witness from his church. He will not allow it to remain because he cares very much that the world see a people that love sacrificially. They don't feel love. They sacrifice into love. Jesus said there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Okay? So we live in a time heaven and earth are merging, and we have to find our place in, in the heavenly realm. Ephesians is one of the few epistles, it's one of the few letters that were written in the New Testament that does not deal with any controversy. You won't find any controversy in Ephesians. And also does not address any specific problems in any local church that Paul ministers to. He never names any churches like, hey, I see you're doing this and I'm going to come visit you. Don't make me write you another letter. He doesn't say that to the church in Ephesus at all. Okay, Ephesians is a unique book in this way. Ephesus was the foremost Asian church. It was like the big one. The first church that was addressed in Jesus' letters to the seven churches. So when you read the letters to the seven churches, you'll find that he addresses Ephesus first. This is important. Whenever you see a first in the Bible, it sets the type for the rest that follow. You see what I'm saying? So when you see a first miracle, like the water turning to wine in Cana, you can know, oh, this is important. This is setting up a type for things I can watch later. When you see the first letter to the first church, you've got to be like, okay, this is important. Like, there's a reason he picked this one to be first, okay? Now, in Jesus' letter to Ephesus, he says that they're renowned by Jesus. Like, Jesus says, you did good here. In works, labor, patience. Everybody say patience. Now, many of us will equate patience with love. I'm putting up with you. I love you. <laughs> is that love? 
No, that's patience. <laughs> love is different. Love is actually finding a different emotion than I'm putting up with you, okay? Perseverance. What's perseverance? Well, how's perseverance different from patience? <laughs> Longer. I, I take Tim's word for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And fidelity to truth. He takes very seriously that Ephesus has a fidelity to truth, and he's like, it's good. You, like, hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans as well. But Jesus says Ephesus is disqualified from being a church. Listen to this. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Everybody say love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What were the first works? What were the first works in your, when you first met Jesus, what were the first works? Wasn't it like feeling free? Wasn't it feeling loved? Wasn't it telling other people, I'm free? Not you have to be free, but I'm free. Weren't those the first works? Like we would be tempted to think we have to have more and more mature works. Like we need to get better at this, get more organized, touch more people, reach that success. That's, earth, that's fleshy success. First works are what he's looking for. Alive, vibrant, they're small. I mean, your first works as a new believer, they're tiny. Right? You don't know anything. You can't really do anything except for feel loved, be loved, and love other people. Be like, I'm part of a family. That's the first works. Do you remember the first works here? Do you guys remember when this first started? It felt different, right? It was different. There was a zeal. There was anticipation. There was possibility. And over time, what goes away? When you get used to something, what goes away? Possibility. Over time, you start to think, it's, this is the way it works. This is how it is. This is what it's going to be. Is that faithful? Because this describes possibility way different. This describes things that it'd take a lot of faith to believe he's going to do them. Right? The bride dressed in white, totally faithful, totally humble, pure, spotless, a harvest, a multitude without number coming out of this, out of the great tribulation. Like possibility saturated this place eight years ago. And it can right now. Today could be the next day that we're like, hey, you know what? God hasn't changed. The building looks better. I mean, this, this place looks a lot better than it did eight years ago. The parking lot can accommodate a lot more. The earth needs it more than ever. God's gathering people all over the world to night and day prayer. Abe's about to go to IHOPU, and she's like, I can't find an apartment because God's sending so many people there right now. IHOP's not dying. Why would we believe in less possibility? I want to tell you, love has grown cold. Love grows cold when you get familiar. When you get used to a way a thing works, love grows cold. And right now, the whole earth, all over the earth, arrogant people are like, it's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. If we don't fix it, it won't get fixed. And they're doing terrible, atrocious things to each other. And that, that same attitude is infecting the church. Right now, we have to be a people that are like, okay, God, what do you want to do? What's the possibilities? Where do I live? What is my spiritual power? What are my blessings? You know, the Ephesians covers all of this. It says you're seated in the heavens with Jesus. You've been given every spiritual blessing. He's maturing you in love, to speaking truth in love. He's like a groom. He wants to marry you. Ephesians 5, he wants to wash you with the water and the word so that you can do war on the earth in darkness. Not warring against people, warring against the principalities and the powers of the heavens. 
because they're being broken right now. And it says they overcame with the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. This is what's happening right now. What is the testimony that we're growing into right now? Now, this is not a condemnation message. This is a today message. You can change the trajectory today. Maybe you've already changed the trajectory. You can be empowered into the trajectory today. Maybe you remember that first love and you're like, I still feel it. Well, you can be surrounded with comfort that that's not a waste of your time today. It's not a waste of your time to believe in first love. In fact, it's crazy not to since he corrects the very first church this way. In Ephesians is the church he picks, and lo and behold, he wrote a whole letter to Ephesians talking to them about how to get to first love. Did you ever think about Ephesians this way? You ever considered, oh, Ephesians is actually, he told them 30 years before John got the revelation, maybe 40 years, depending on some accounts. 30 or 40 years before Jesus wrote that letter to Ephesus, he told them what he was going to test them in. And then he tested them. He's like, you're lacking. (laughs) Repent. You can overcome. You can still overcome, right? So we want to know, okay, what did he say to the church in Ephesus that he then tested her 30 or 40 years later and was like, you're lacking here, honey. You got to actually see what I'm trying to do, right? Okay. So, uh, Paul wrote Ephesians 30 or 40 years before John wrote the Revelation. Ephesians identifies in large part what Jesus admonishes Ephesus, and thus us, because it's an end-time church. You know, it's one of the letters to the seven churches. We can count ourselves in all those letters. He's admonishing us to return to this first love that he describes in the book of Ephesians. Now, I'm just trying to whet your appetite for the book of Ephesians. That's, my, that's what God wanted me to do this morning. He wanted me to tell you a little bit of what I've been eating And to say, if you are hungry for this, if this sounds good to you, eat it. So I'm giving you a menu, and you can read it and be like, that sounds great. I'm going to go home and have a bologna sandwich. Maybe I'll come back here. Or you can be like, I want to order that, God. I I want that thing from the menu. And all you have to do is say, God, I want to know more about this. I actually believe, I want to humble myself and say, there's something I don't know. The fruit of my life is showing that I don't know it. And I want to eat something new so I can grow some new way, okay? If you want that, Holy Spirit, I'm asking right now. I want it. God, help me to eat something new even as I'm speaking so that I can grow a new way, so I can pray a new thing and grow a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this process of maturing has cost Ephesus love. So when you read in the book of Ephesians, you're going to find in Ephesians uh, 4, God starts talking to Ephesus through Paul about maturing in love. And he's like, I gave you apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers. And we're going to read this passage in just a second, so I don't really say too much of it. But the whole point of Ephesus is maturing unto doing the right kind of warfare. You, we all start, you included, warring wrong. We war in the flesh. We, we all start in the flesh. It's the only place you can start. That's where the appeal of the gospel, that's the soil or the dirt the appeal of the gospel finds is your flesh. And that flesh either breaks down and humbles itself and then feeds that seed into growing faith or it gets hard and rocky or thorns come and steal. You know, there's, it's, you can only receive the gospel in your flesh. You have to mature into walking out the gospel in the spirit. And that's what it means to mature. So Ephesus, in, in this process of maturing, she's got all the appearance of doing the right things, but her heart is hard. Her love is cold. She's guarded she won't be vulnerable to the people around her. And she thinks somehow this is going to please Jesus. Like that she looks like a person that does this stuff. She grits her teeth and shows up at the meetings. But she, there's no love. And he knows. He sees inside. 
And he's like, you have to get back to that. This is all rejected without that. With that, you can even be immature and weak. You can grow in the love. But the works growing without the love, he's like, that's the false witness that the Antichrist comes out of. You don't want that. You don't want that at all. Okay? So the proof, though, uh, the process of maturing is cost Ephesus love because much of what she's done in the Lord has, in her immature understanding, been in her own strength. Now, where else could we read about an immature girl that really loves the Lord or the king, and she knows, hey, I've been doing all this work, and it's not working out for me, and you take me on this journey, and the next thing you know, I'm, I got this great harvest, I'm giving Solomon a thousand. What, what story would that be? S- Song of Songs. Song of Songs. Yes, yes, yes. So Song of Songs is a great passage to read parallel to reading the book of Ephesians. Song of Songs and Ephesians are actually talking about the same thing, which is maturing in love unto a harvest and a war, because the harvest comes out of the war. There's a war that's breaking on the earth right now. Can you feel it? Noah, can you feel the war that's on the earth? Yes. Is it like war mode? I'm being serious. Yes. Does the earth have a war mode answer? Yes. Does the Bible have a war mode answer? Yes. I'm messing with Noah because he's got this podcast called War Mode. He wouldn't let me listen to it. Okay. If he would have let me listen to it, I wouldn't have mentioned it, but he wouldn't let me listen to it. Okay. So uh, we all have things like that. I just want to tell you. Let's read Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. We'll dig me out this way. Okay. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. This is actually the way that we war. This is the way that we mature unto not being tricked by false prophets. This is the only way. Now listen to this. This sounds really actually like you'd be open to false prophets. I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now was Jesus ever in danger of being misled? Come on. No, never in danger of being misled. Why did Satan tempt him? Why did Satan tempt him in Luke 4? If Jesus was never in danger of being misled, do you think that Satan asked for permission to sift Jesus? Absolutely. He asked for permission to sift Peter. He's asked for permission to sift you. Satan couldn't have even appeared before the glory of Jesus if the Father hadn't let him. But God knew what would make righteousness happen on the earth. He knew there had to be a man come in the flesh that had victory over every temptation. Every temptation you felt, Jesus has felt. There's nothing you felt that he hasn't felt and had victory over. Nothing. Where are you at right now? Are you feeling a temptation? You're like, nobody gets it. Wrong. Jesus gets it. There is nothing nobody gets. Nothing. Jesus gets it all. And so he, Tim was right, he wasn't going to be misled because he stayed in a certain place where he wouldn't be. Where did he stay? In the spirit. He stayed abiding in the vine. And he said, come follow me. Abide in the vine. If you don't abide in the vine, you're not going to bear any fruit. If you don't actually stay in this mode that I'm in, you will not bear fruit. You'll actually get it stolen by the birds, right? The thorns will come up and choke it. This is the hard, rocky places your heart won't let it grow deep. And then it'll be burned up in the fire. Like, you have to stay in this place. Otherwise, you will not survive. So Jesus, he didn't survive. He, he could have been misled if he didn't stay in the spirit. Thank God he stayed in the spirit, right? 
And so we want to too. We actually want to stay in the spirit as well. Now, if you're doing this, the proof is in the fruit. Ephesus tolerates those that she's supposed to love. This is sin because it's a false witness. And I just want us to think about where do you live with the household of God? It's not just here. You live with the household of God in your house. You live in the household of God at your job. You probably know one or two other believers. You probably have friends that are in the household of God that don't go to this church. Listen to this. She tolerates those she's supposed to love. You ever experienced this? Living with other Christians and you're like, I've done this. And then you get in the car and you're like, <clears throat> you don't even say anything. <clears throat> Driving home. Okay, I'm going to just push that down. Okay. This is the way it is. Does Jesus see love there? No. Is he okay with that? That's a false witness. That's sin. That's a false witness on the earth. That's hard. You need a miracle to get saved. You need a miracle to be a true witness. A true witness is like Jesus. That person's insane, and they just drove me nuts. How do you feel about them? And then he tells you something that he feels about them that softens this, and you start to see, oh, you're really patient with me, Lord. You actually put up with quite a bit from me, and you're asking me to follow you in a cross, to actually learn how to sacrificially love the people around me. And if I don't do that, I'm a false witness. And you are. You are, and I am. And so we have some things to do before he comes like a thief. We have some things to do so that he'd be found as brilliant and glorious. You know, for whatever reason, he's decided to shine his light through his bride. It says in John 17, he says, Father, make them one as you are in me and I am in, I'm in you and they are in me. Make them one. Then the world will know that you, were, that you sent me. He's looking for this witness right now. Right now, and he knows where it's not there. Ephesus doesn't know. Ephesus thinks, hey, we're doing all this stuff. Jesus, you're welcome. I'm going to stick with it, Jesus, till the end. Like Peter, you're welcome. And he's like, That's, I, I spit that out. I'm going to remove your lampstand. Repent. I can see inside of your heart. He says, you've heard it said that don't murder, but I say if you're angry with a brother, go to him. Fix it. That's murder. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I'm like, I see what you're looking at. I see it. Deal with it with me before it's too late. Deal with it. Let love grow right here, right? So this is what Ephesians addresses, the book of Ephesians, and the help Jesus gave Ephesus decades before he would test her in this. Jesus told her everything she needed to know to pass the test. I want to give you some news. Jesus has told you everything you need to know to pass the test because you got the book too, <laughs> Right? You got it too. So we have to know how to pass the test, getting that information much as required in that. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 to 16. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. So if you're outside of this one body or this one Spirit, you're not in Christ. You see what I'm saying? There's not two bodies. There's not like the ones you tolerate and then the good ones that are some, you know, the green grass somewhere that you get to eat. There's one body, and this body needs this help. That's the only body there is. The only body of Jesus there is is the broken one. 
The only body of Jesus there is is the bleeding one. The only body of Jesus there is is the one that needs a doctor. That's it. There's no other body. So if you're like, I'll tolerate this group that I got to deal with. I'm hoping someday he takes me to the body. You won't be there. There's only one body, and there's only one spirit. You get what I'm saying? There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, grace, everybody say grace, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So everybody in this room has a spiritual gift. If you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you have a unique spiritual expression. That's a good way to think about it. There's some way the Holy Spirit, the electricity, I just picture the electricity that makes my toaster do one thing and my microwave do another thing. That's a, it's a, a rudimentary analogy. But there's some way when you plug into the Spirit, you operate that nobody else can. And there's some way that everybody else in this room, when they plug into the Spirit, operates in a way that nobody else can. We have to learn how to see that beauty. When we're singing up here, Abe was expertly leading us to see the beauty of Jesus so we could become something more. A lot of the beauty of Jesus is around you right now. And if you can't see that, you can't become something more. Because you're actually outside of the body. If you can't see the beauty, even in the midst of immaturity, even in the midst of corruption, in people connected to the Spirit, in the way that they walk that out, then you can't see your own corruption and your own immaturity. And if you judge that as unworthy, then he judges you unworthy. And you don't want that to happen. You actually want to say, okay, God, show me your beauty in this place. In the way that you do that, this is all an advertisement for the book of Ephesians. Ephesians talks to us about how to do what I'm saying. It's a process. It's actually a set of understanding, a book that God took the time to write to the church that he would later call loveless because she wouldn't do the thing that he said to do. You see what I'm saying? You don't want that to be you. You don't want that to be you. You actually want to get into the process of, okay, what is this thing about, and how do I do it? And that's all prayer. All, everything I'm saying is prayer. You read a passage, you're like, okay, do I do this? What extent don't I do it? Help me do it, right? And I don't want to distill it to all, this is the formula that I use. But you have to have some conversation with God about what you need from this book, okay? Um, there is uh, one God, Father, who is above all and through all and in you all. But to each one of us, a grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. What does it mean? But that he also first ascended in the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. There's nowhere Jesus hasn't been. There's no pit of hell he doesn't know. He's actually willing to go there to save us. He's willing to go to any length to give us maturity in Christ. So if you're like, I don't think I can do it, amen, you are right, but he can. And if you're willing to ask him, he will give it to you. But if you just sit there and don't touch the plate of food in front of you, you will find yourself outside of the family forever. You really will. And so we have to be a people that are like, okay, he, he gave everything for this. And this is obviously Ephesians 4. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. I challenge you to do this. If you're taking notes, write this down. Search for the word imitate in the Bible. Just search for the word imitate. Do you know it's in the New Testament, it tells us to imitate other people like five or six times. It says imitate people that know how to do this. If you find somebody that's tapped into the life in the heavens above and they can stay faithful in the midst of adversity, imitate them. What are they doing? Find out what they're doing and imitate them. 
And that's really what this is talking about. He says, I gave you people that know what to do. I gave you some that are apostles. They know how to send. I gave you some that are prophets. They know how to hear. I gave you some that are evangelists. They actually know how to preach the good news. I gave you some that are pastors. They know how to shepherd people. Some that are teachers. They actually know what I'm doing. They have the blueprints of what I'm doing. Listen to them. And then mature. Grow into your own expression of the Spirit. Do you see what I'm saying? You're actually supposed to honor where stuff came from. You're supposed to recognize God didn't give any person all five of these. He's given all men some gift in some measure of that gift according to Christ's gift, according to what Jesus decided fit in the right spots. And so you have to recognize, man, who's a, who's a, who really teaches this stuff good? Like, I want to I actually imitate some of what they're doing. Who sends people into this well? I want to imitate what they're doing. Who prophesies this well? I want to imitate what they're doing. I want to be in the movement of the body, the coordination of the body, and I don't want to just sit there and just imagine someday God's going to sweep me up and put me in the great part of the body, and then everything's going to be a big party, and we're all going to get along. You're learning to get along right now. You're learning how to successfully navigate self-will right now. And he will never take away self-will. He will never take away the option for self-will. You will always have an option to be self-willed, but there will be a heaven full of mature people that are like, I leave that option on the floor. I don't want the option of self-will. I want the option of God's will, okay? So he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Everybody say equipping. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying. Everybody say edifying of the body of Christ. That's what this, this whole book does is it edifies the body of Christ till, everybody say till, we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Everybody say, we all. That's not talking about you individually. That's talking about we all. Till we all act like the body of Jesus. Till we all actually look and represent him. Now, you can't individually represent Jesus. You don't have the capacity. He's infinite in his capacity. But you have a capacity to represent the part he's appointed to you, combined with the other people around you. And you can't cut off all the body and still expect to be part of it. You actually have to learn to, that this is the goal. This is what we're, so every adversity that comes our way, it's the best circumstances he could possibly give us to come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to a measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So if the earth wants, to, if the earth needs to see a forgiving people and the kingdom is coming from the inside out, where should forgiveness start? Here. Where should it go next? Whoever you could touch with your arm. <laughs> When you wake up in the morning or when you have breakfast, there you go. Tom Morsman's next for Jen. Forgiveness has to be there. Then your family, then your church. And if, the, if you can't do it here, you can't do it there. But if you'll do it here, they'll, they will see it and they'll want it. This is what he's looking for right now. Do you see this in the earth? Do you see there's an absence of concern for anyone else it's like, it's like this growing darkness that's overtaking the whole earth is selfishness. That's what Paul told Timothy would happen in the last days. And he said, it's going to be in the church. They'll hold to a form of the religion, yes, but they'll deny its power to change the heart into a soft heart full of love, recognizing the glory of Jesus all around it. We have to do this. We have to recognize he didn't put us with the people he put us with for it to be easy. He put us with the people he put us with so we had a place to sacrifice. Because you can't show the world forgiveness if you've got nothing to forgive. You can't show the world patience if you've got nothing to be patient about. You can't show the world faith if everything you want is in your hands. 
He's looking for us to be a people that believe something unseen, that do things that are contrary to the ways of the world that are selfless, not selfish. And not to just do it and grit our teeth and be like, I did it, Lord, you're welcome, but to actually be like, I loved doing it, Lord. Thank you for making me a part of your body. I can't believe I get to be a part of this body. This is so amazing. It's such a huge gift. And I have a place to express my gift. I have a place to express my way that I plug into the spirit and release something. Because you gave me to people that aren't like me. If he gave you to people just like you, there'd be no place for you to express something unique about the Holy Spirit. So he's brought us to a place that's difficult, yes, Narrow, very. Possible, absolutely. And must be done. It must be done, or else you're a false witness. Till we come to the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Let me say children. Tossed to and fro. I don't know about you. Last few years, I've felt tossed to and fro. It's all great. It's all bad. It's all great. It's all bad. That's childlike. It's great. It's great. I want to tell you, it's great. No doubt. He wouldn't have been on a cross if it wasn't great. The Son of God, the uncreated God's own begotten Son would not be on a cross if it's not great, if it doesn't result in some great, amazing thing. It's great. I want to tell you, it's great what he's doing. It's great what he's going to do. It's great what he's done. It's great what he's done. And if we don't lose heart, we can still love. If we can see the body around us, we can still love. If we can actually see that this is the letter he wrote to Ephesus and then open our hearts and receive something new, everything could change today, this week, this month, this summer. I believe he's going to change everything for me this summer. I believe that I'm going to walk into September with a whole new attitude, and I'm going to go right under the rails of safety. He's going to lift me up, and I'm going to be good if the wind and the waves come. That's what a boat lift does. And we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But, we say, but, this is your only option if you don't want that. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, even the parts we don't like, we have to learn to like him. You're going to be best friends forever, for literally eternity. Everything you think is going to be found out. It's going to be exposed. He says, there's not one thought that I'm not going to hold you accountable for. Everything is going to be laid bare. We're going to live in clear, transparent love. Why wait? Just get over it. Get through it. Get with it. Tell him you're sorry. Open your heart. Let him change you. Let go of your reasons. At home, at work, at school, on the highway, here, especially here, especially here, because this place claims to witness him to the city of Kalamazoo. How could we witness something we don't have? How could anybody ever be expected to believe Jesus is credible if the people that know him best bite and devour one another, grit their teeth and hate each other? How could he ever be believed as credible because he refuses to violate people's free will? He refuses to go out in the world and say, see me right. He's looking for people that are like, let them see you right in me, even if it costs me everything, even if it costs me my pride, even if it costs me my shame, even if it costs me my money, even if it costs me my time. Even if it's just me, I saw Justin Rizzo, Samantha pointed out a picture. Justin Rizzo was in the prayer room uh, in Kansas City a, a few weeks back, and it, the room was literally empty. Like all that excitement about the 21 days of praying for Israel, in the, in, a, in the city it's known for a house of prayer. 
in a place where there's literally 4,000 people on staff, the room's empty. Why would anybody go to that room? To be seen. Here? No. There. And if you see him, your eyes are the window of your soul. It comes in and it goes out. And I saw that. I'm like, I want to be in an empty room too. I want to be faithful like that. I want to imitate that. I want to be like that. What do you want to be like? Do you want to be like what the world celebrates? Or do you want to be like what heaven cheers and applauds and urges on? That great cloud of witnesses is like, son, and two like me, yes. Refuses the escape because they want the better resurrection, yes. Is willing to take the small just to be like Jesus. Just to be like Jesus. Do you know he's hated in his own city? He's hated in that city. People literally walk around the city saying, we killed Jesus to this day. They see a group of Christians, they say, we killed him. He's dead. He wants a witness, not that's like, no, you didn't. He wants a witness that he loves you still. He's still saying, Father, forgive him. And how could I say that to you if I don't say it to Samantha or I don't say it to my kids or I don't say it to my church? How could I possibly hope to be a witness that Jesus believes, that Jesus anoints, that Jesus empowers? You can't do this in the flesh. You have to have an anointing, and Jesus won't anoint something he doesn't believe. He has to believe it. That's what he's saying to Ephesus. He's saying there's a wave of darkness coming. Yes, the world might believe that you're full of labor and perseverance and faith and good works. Yes, but what about the love? I see something that nobody can measure but me. What about the love? What about the love? He's saying that to us right now. He's saying, yeah, I see, I see your faithfulness. I, see, I applaud it. Your labor, your perseverance, your good works. Yes, 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 yes. How you doing inside? How you doing inside when it's just you, thinking about what's going on and the people you got to do it with? What's going on? I, I know what's going on. I know where you're at. You don't know where you're at. And the way that we find is in the book of Ephesus, Ephesians. It's one of the ways. It's a letter written for you to find first love. It's a letter written for you to find first love. I'm really plugging this book. It's almost like I wrote it, but I didn't. I need to read it. Okay, so we need to let Jesus submit us to this heart check, and this is the quiz that I gave you, before proceeding with the what of Ephesians. Do you personally, and this is a question you need to answer, for you just you and God, not, not with me. Do you need this information? Do you need what Ephesus offers? If you judge yourself, you know, to be doing pretty good, loving, I don't really want to hear how I'm not loving, this, you, you, you think you don't need this, and you're, he's going to expose, actually, your nakedness. He's, he's intending to do it. In fact, Satan has asked to sift us all like wheat, and God said yes, because he wants to qualify us into heaven, and you can't live there if you don't love. You cannot live there if you don't love. Not to your standard of love, to his standard of love. You can't live there if you don't love, okay? And and I appreciate Noah. Noah did a series of messages about love, actually, four or five years ago. Really powerful. Like, this this would be a good help as well. Just to to read about the love of God. And I won't say too much about where Noah was when, when when he wrote those messages and delivered them, but he was actually needing the love of God right then, and God gave him stuff to say. And I think that's really good. I'm digging myself out of the hole. Warm up there. Just kidding. It is really good. Okay, so we need, to, we need to let Jesus submit us to this heart check. Do we fervently love, fervently 
love those we pursue Yeshua with? Do we fervently look for ways to lay down our pride, lay down our rights, lay down our offenses, lay down our hurt, lay down our past, and actually be like, how do I serve you? How do I not just serve you, like do the thing that needs done? How do I let you know I have affection for you? How do I let you know I see the value that God places on you? How do I encourage you in your spiritual gifting? How do I actually count myself second? And when you do something good, I'm like, that was amazing. How do I build up the body of Christ? You can't do that if you're not here. You cannot do that if you're not here. And I want to tell you, having been a part of several churches in the last three months, there are some places where there's no opportunity to talk, to dialogue. And that was one of the complaints, actually, about Light Hop in the very beginning, was like, we walk into prayer meetings, walk out of prayer meetings, there's no fellowship time. Well, I want to tell you, there will never be fellowship time if you show up 10 minutes late. It's never going to happen. It's already started, and if you walk out five minutes early, there's never going to be fellowship time. And I want to tell you, I am a serial practicer of this because I am awkward in fellowship time. I don't know what to say. And what God's been telling me to do when I wa- we walk into several meetings where I don't even really honestly know what some people are saying, he's like, let me look at your heart real quick. Do you want people to know you? Do you actually want to know other people? Or are you here doing something that I don't count? He's like, I put you with people because I want people to know you and I want you to know people. So I have to, like, at the door, be like, okay, God, I really want to hide. I really want to see, sneak, slip in, sneak out. I don't want to be in these awkward moments where I don't know what to say. And I find just a little bit, just a tiny bit, he gives me grace. And it's like I might have a three-minute conversation with somebody that otherwise I would have tried to avoid, and I find out it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And I'm a little bit more open for the next conversation. This is glory to glory, strength to strength. Now, some people's personality is I just want people to talk to me. Are you ready to enter a room and actually not be the center of attention? Are you ready to just come and find out what the body of Christ looks like? Some of us need that. The the book of Ephesians actually addresses all of this. It actually talks about this. And so I want to actually know where I'm at with the Lord. I want to do this heart check. Do I fervently love those I pursue Yeshua with? No. My answer is no. What's your answer? Just say it out loud. What's your answer? No. If you were, right, you'd be shining like Stephen getting killed. So there's some no. Be free. Yes, we need the Lord. He'll come and give himself to us if we need him. Do we try to stay right with God in our own strength, or are we willing to need a doctor? Now, I think that we've actually, as a group of believers, moved past the idea of being seen as somebody that is willing to need a doctor. I think we're actually willing to be seen as needy. But that can be a facade in and of itself. We can actually be like, yeah, I need help in this area, but in the secret place of our heart, have all of our reasons why we're like that. Are we actually willing to need a doctor? This is part of love. Part of love is recognizing, I can't love unless I'm loved first, and there's something broken here. There's something hard here, and I have my reasons, and he's not going to accept those reasons when I meet him face to face. He won't. There are, you have no reason better than the cross. You have no reason better than the way Jesus was treated and still loved. I don't care what has happened to you. You have no reason that even compares to that. Are we compromising with darkness? Now, you might think, are we calling the Satanists and asking them to do a seance together so we can get the spirits to move? That's not what I'm saying. Are we compromising with darkness? Galatians 5 describes the darkness that the the church is tempted to compromise with, or the works of the flesh. Are we complaining? 
private outbursts of wrath, jealousy, manipulations, selfish ambitions to accomplish our God-given goals? Are we compromising with darkness? Are we doing the thing, but we're kind of annoyed about it? Or we're kind of irritated with the way it turns out. Or we're kind of irritated with how people help us. Or we're just complaining. Just not even for any good reason. Or just jealous of the way it works somewhere else. Are we compromising with darkness to try and accomplish our God-given goals? Yes. I'll answer that for you. Yes. We all are. Now, it's not just here. It can be at work. It can be with your family. It can be in your marriage. Yeah. I love you, honey. (laughs) Do you? Well, I'm here. Oh, you're patient. But do you love? Now, I'm not saying this to you. I'm saying this to me. Like, Sam and I have been living in a 15 by 15 room, like a steel cage match for three months. We've done pretty good, I think. Right? Done pretty good. We actually really like it. So, But it does test you. It does test you being real close. Remember COVID? Remember how they tested people just being held up in their, in their houses and they're like, we got nothing to talk about. <laughs> Our lives are so out there and not in here. This is something to pray about right now. What's coming is so much worse than COVID. I want to tell you, so much worse and so much more glorious because he's going to shake everything that can be shaken, everything. And he's going to put the church together in tight spaces. And if you love, it's going to be glorious. And if you don't, it's going to be hard, really hard. Do we walk in unguarded affection with Jesus? Hear this again. Do you walk in unguarded affection with Jesus? Now, I wanted to, I'll give you the cliff notes. No, you don't. But that is a loaded question because everybody thinks, I love Jesus. If it was just me and Jesus, no problem. Do you walk in unguarded affection with Jesus' body? It is his body for real. And if you think that's not real, if you think there's some other version of Jesus that you actually love but his body kind of annoys you, you're mistaken. You are mistaken. There is a real body of Christ, and welcome to it. And it's immature, and it's being refined, and it's being cleaned, and it's being purified, just like you are. And he has patience for all of it. He has love for all of it. He has hope for all of it. He prophesied these things. He prophesied that she's going to be clothed with salvation. He prophesied that she's going to shine like the stars in heaven forever. He prophesied that we would mature in love. He prophesied that he would get the glory for it. He prophesied that he will come back and there will be an army dressed in white behind him that touched the earth with the fire of love. They touched the earth with the fire of love. Isn't that amazing? And he put you in the one place it happens, in the place of prayer. It's the only place it could happen. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't get a group together. You can't get the right vision, the right momentum. You can only do it in the place of prayer. You can only, and that's what, that's what Ephesians lays out. That you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. That there's a maturing bride. It's not just you sitting in the heavenlies with Christ. That there's a whole maturing bride. That he wants to wash her with the water of the word. That you can see it even in marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. But I'm talking to you about the church is what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. And then he says, there's a war against this. There is a war coming against this. If you want to be ready for that war, stand with me. Abe, you want to come back up? And we made it to item two. I'm going to have to pick up the pace here. (laughs) If I'm going to do this in four messages. I'm joking. 
Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that you're, you're the pace setter. Lord, would you open up? If you want to start reading the book of Ephesians in a new light, just raise your hand. Everybody that wants it, just raise your hand. Holy Spirit, I'm asking in this room, open our eyes to the letter written to restore first love. Open our eyes to it right now. I'm asking all this week, just prompt us, just remind us, hey, you know what? There's that thing. Even if it's, a, even if it's three or four verses, just show us something new. God, I bind Satan where he comes and condemns and says, you didn't read enough, you didn't think enough, you didn't pray enough. I cancel all those idols. Lord, we're just going to try to do the thing that you told the church to do. Lord, in this room right now, just just open our hearts to him. So we took that quiz, and it showed us some empty spaces in our hearts. So like, oh, I need a little bit more there, a little bit more there, a little bit more there. He wants to pour it in right now. Now, he's, a, he's living water. That means he runs right through your fingers, but he keep you wet, Right? He's not, he's not supposed to be stored up. You're not supposed to graduate from needing Jesus is what that means. You're supposed to constantly be wet in him. Holy Spirit, right now, that living water, just let it rush through our hearts. Sprinkle us with the blood. Forgive us, God. Forgive us where we come up short. This is good. This is good. We need a Savior still. We're living in the truth. Holy Spirit, in this room, there's confidence in love. Fill us up with love. How much you love us. Show us how we're part of the body, how we, we're gifted spiritually. I pray in this room, every person that's here, they recognize the body of Jesus in one other person sometime this week. I'm asking in your mercy, Jesus, just like training wheels for our voluntary choice to see your body around us. I'm asking, show us your body this week. Every one of us, let us see the body of Jesus somewhere this week. In the name of Yeshua, I pray fire on my friends. Amen.